children needs to be seen, heard, and loved. Children need to be seen, heard, and loved. That makes sense to me. And when there's an absence of that growing up, it can lead to issues, problems, coping with life and with the emotions that are inherent in life. Chloe Hoot is a child psychologist and therapist that I met in Berlin back in September. And we speak about this concept of the inner child, that in each and every one of us, there is a child inside that is intuitive, a source of creativity, and that also needs healing from the wounds that we received as children. And I'm not placing blame on how those wounds happen, they happen through our environment. And it's natural. I don't think you can escape childhood unharmed in in any way. And so what do we do with that? How do we heal our inner child? Well, we talk about that today. And please stick with us during the intro Chloe and I wandered for a bit in really beautiful territory that is important for the following conversation. Um, It's a long intro, but it's worth it. And we talk about the importance of community and how it's crucial in healthy childhood development and also adult development. How to heal your own inner child wounds. Um how to be able to identify and name a range of feelings and emotions that can actually help you regulate and prevent outbursts. And what is reparenting? What does it mean? And how can you do it? This is a beautiful conversation. I'm eternally grateful for Chloe for sitting down with me and connecting on this topic, which isn't a topic that I really knew much about, but that I was really excited to connect on. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. What, um, could you please introduce yourself in whatever way makes sense to you? My name is Chloe Hood. Um, I'm French. I have Caribbean and Venezuelan roots. So I'm coming from a multicultural family. I'm a psychologist. I'm currently in Berlin and I'm a mother of two daughters. Thank you. That's a beautiful introduction. (laughs) No one's ever told me where they were from or like their heritage uh, or uh, whether they have kids or not. I really love that intro. Yeah, I guess it's like... It's a lot of who I am, yeah. I'm going to start this a little bit differently just because of where I'm at today and what we're talking about. How's your heart today? <sighs> Happy. 
yeah yeah i had uh, i had the privilege to spend my day outside which is nowadays uh, a privilege and um so i feel really grateful that's beautiful i'm happy for you how do you feel today oh that's a different question so where is your heart <laughs> <laughs> i feel exhausted and really tired really yeah why are you tired I just spent three hours on the phone, oh. a client call, and then um, talking to another psychologist, which was supposed to be a 15-minute call to see what kind of podcast we wanted to come up with. And we ended up spending two hours on the phone. Was it good? Yeah, it was great. It was like the most fun that I've had on the phone in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> she also might have diagnosed me with ADHD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I can see that. Wait, can you? <laughs> I could, yeah. You mean in my personality? Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me more? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're pretty productive and intense. So, What do you mean by predictive? Uh, you're doing a lot you and you're able to do a lot of different things and to um expand pretty fast i would say mm. is that your experience of me since we met or when we met mm. since we met no i no i i met you in in a very calm place where when i was pretty much agitated so I was calm. Ah, oh, you were really calm. Yeah, I remember. You were really, really calm. So I kind of struggle with, and by the way, this episode is not about my recent diagnosis of ADHD by therapists on the phone, but I, f I see myself as a very calm person. And so that to me doesn't, that like is at odds with what I know about ADHD. It doesn't mean that you have to be agitated. Usually, when children are diagnosed with that, they, it's because they can't concentrate and they're agitated. But in grown-ups, then it's, uh, it's a completely different way that they express that. They express that differently. I do have a hard time concentrating. Yeah, that can be something. Or just like always having many projects at the same time exploring different topics at the same time it's it's more like having multiple things always on your plate mm -hmm. being a bit jumpy mm. but it doesn't mean that you have to be nervous it's not always related right so you can be you can multitask and have a lot of different projects and be intense and not be jumpy yeah I almost feel like intense and not jumpy is almost scarier. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed. Indeed, it can be. It can be. It's also uh, often related to high potential right? because you need a lot of input. And if you don't have this input, then like people will create output to compensate so this is usually what is happening for children because they're not in control of how much 
input they can like receive as much as adults. So then you have less output. So you can become a... So they, they have less stimulation. They are less in control. They're less in control of, of their stimulation. Yeah, of how much they can be like having and how much they can feed themselves depending on the environment. Like uh, usually HDID is uh, diagnosed in children who are living in the city. Yeah. Because if you live outside in the nature, children have more occasion and a better environment to just have constant input from sounds, observation, uh, smells, mm. uh, physical activity, all that things, experiences, science. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is. I love the. I love the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. No one has ever said that I might have ADHD, and so for me to hear that from someone that I totally trust um, is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something. I mean, I haven't really processed it because it just happened like an hour ago. But I think it's beautiful. It's a quality. It can be a quality. I mean, like everything. If you know how to live with it and make the best out of it, it's a quality. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah, if you can harness it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I probably have dealt with that um, by using a variety of like either coping mechanisms or ways for me to care for myself. Mm -hmm. By staying active, physically active, and doing work that is engaging. You can honor your needs or you know how to honor your needs and then it uh, can be beautiful to be uh, HDID. So, yeah. Cool. Oh, this is a really, I think a really important reframe. I've never really heard ADHD as being seen as a quality or something that could be positive. <laughs> Um, because you have to ask yourself who is dealing with that usually or in my experience in my work because I there's something I didn't say that I'm, I'm primarily a child psychologist. I, I come from child psychology um, and I learned later on that I can't just work with children without working with adults. But Usually, so parents are coming with their children because they have difficulties to handle them because uh, they feel restless or because they don't, they are never satisfied with uh, the kind of activities or they, it's difficult for them to keep them interested. Once again, like it's can, it can be linked with high potential because many children who have that also just feel bored on one point or the way the task is presented to them is just yeah boring or not like like not suitable to their needs mm. so that's why it's 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 it looks like a very annoying or negative diagnosis because people who are coming are uh, fed up with the behavior of their of their child or lost are uh, feeling very insecure about what they what they can do and how to support them. So, hmm. so it gets reframed as more of a problem rather than a characteristic of the child. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this is interesting. It, I had a conversation with um, Coach 
therapist, I think ex-recovering therapist maybe, Jason Gaddis, who is the founder of the Relationship School, teaches um, people how to be relationship coaches and also how, how to be in relationship. And he has two children, um, sort of tweens age, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like nine and 12 or something. And he was talking about being at home with his kids a lot. This was months before the shelter in place. And I said, oh, that, you know, that must be challenging to mm, keep them occupied. And he goes, oh, that's not my job. <laughs> my job isn't to keep them occupied it's to connect with them yeah that's a that's a beautiful answer i i love that answer <laughs> yes yes it's not yes. to entertain them or keep them busy mm. or occupy them or stimulate them it's to connect with them in, in a way that makes sense for them right they're they're the they can't adjust the way he can adjust yeah exactly exactly yeah that's true would it be better if, you know, the parents of the kids that you saw had that kind of mind frame when it came to dealing with their quote unquote problematic children? Definitely. Yeah. And also having in mind that boredom is bringing a lot of beautiful things. Like you don't get creative if you're not bored, (laughs) if you don't have space and, this is like something that we have to learn or that children have to learn that sometimes you just have to leave space and see how this space is like unfolding or what this space is bringing. And for that, you have to be bored. So trying to keep your child always occupied or busy or never that your child never have to sit in the discomfort of boredom is, um, can be questionable. I love space. I love this idea of space. Um, I love when relationships end mm-hmm. because there's uh, an incredible amount of space that is liberated. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to fill it. Yeah. But the idea that something is going to fill it is extremely exciting. Yeah, And I'd much rather have space and uncertainty around how that space is going to be filled than to stay in a relationship that is not fulfilling and supporting my growth and my creativity. Yeah, this, this is a very mature point of view. Mm. It can also bring a lot of fears um, depending on where you are and uh, where your wounds are. But... Indeed, I also love my space and space in general. But uh, I think it's a gift to have the ability to appreciate that and to be comfortable with that, comfortable with the uncertainty. It's it's a gift. I was privileged enough to take March off almost entirely from my work, my Instagram promotion, content creation, um, podcasting, and was able to travel and meditate and do a sitting meditation retreat for a week where we meditated for seven to eight hours a day. And I'd never done that before, by the way. The, the, the most I'd ever oh, meditated wow. was like 20 minutes in one day. So you're a monk now? I'm a monk. I was, they had to strap me down because I kept levitating. <laughs> and I would get stuck on the ceiling. So they had to do a thing to keep me 
down. Um, Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I was really scared. I was really scared of going and what was going to happen. And would I be able to sit for that long? What would happen? What would happen to me, to my brain? I was just terrified of being alone with my thoughts, by the way, yeah. for that long. And, you know, really the reality is that there was a lot of banal thoughts, really boring, uh, the same thoughts over and over and over again. I was quite disappointed <laughs> by how uncreative these thoughts were. <laughs> and, you know, the, the point you is... did it. I did it, yeah. The point is bring it back to the breath, bring it back to the present moment. And some beautiful reflections that came up was that I want to figure out a way to build community. And I've been able to do that with the Lovebird Club, which is a you know private Facebook community. And now we're doing these uh, weekly webinars for people who are in the club. And this is only for people that have ever supported my work financially. Yeah. Because I wanted to build a community of people who value my work, which means that they value trust, love, and intimacy. And I want those people to be able to support each other. Mm-hmm. I don't want the support to have to come through me all the time. I want them to be able to do that. And we need community. Like, I think this is also something that I, I see so much in my work here in this big European city, uh, this lack of community that like we're not made to be alone or to be only with one, like, or partner, or this like special friend or friends that we like so much. Um, and I see that also um, with children, how hard it is for parents to like to educate their child because they're not supposed to do that alone. And um, community is, is fantastic for children because they can learn and they can heal. It's they can receive and give to different people with different ways, mm. with different from different generations, and um, be able to like the more people you meet in your childhood, the more people you're capable of of handling out and being with uh, later on when you when you're an adult. So community is definitely something that we should all uh, work on and work with. Like, I'm a believer of that. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be. I mean, I think historically speaking, we've been more community-minded. Yeah, we pack animals. We pack animals. And now we're more, you know, you, you, and I don't know how it is in Europe. I suspect it's somewhat similar. Uh, you go to school, you you get to be like 18 or 20, you move out of the house, mm-hmm. you get a job, eventually you get a partner, and you move away from your family. And you mm-hmm. start your new little secular family. And yeah. you're, and this has been, I think studies show this has been particularly hard for women because generally speaking, men continue to work while women stay at home. Mm-hmm. This is generally speaking, obviously. Some people are able to afford um, childcare and, and both parents can go work. But women end up staying at home. And yeah. men continue to build their social life at work. Yeah, And it just becomes very challenging to live in, in isolation like that. 
Yeah. So I agree. I agree that community is one of the answers. And we support also like, because you just spoke about women and I, I work a lot with mothers and I can see that, that pressure they have on their shoulders to like do it properly, to do it alone, to not ask for support, to, to be a good mom. To be a good mom is like knowing it all. And uh, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Mm. And uh, when, you, when you have to, to grow a child, you need definitely that community around you because you also have to go through this really vulnerable moment of your life. Like when a, when a woman is giving birth, she's giving birth to a child, but also to, to herself. Um, you need a community to, to raise a child, a village to raise a child, but also a village to raise a, a mother. Yeah. So, yeah. I was uh, reading Wednesday Martin's book, Untrue, about female infidelity. And, and there was a study in there, and I'm a little fuzzy on the details, that talked about this idea of women moving away to have children. And the most damaging part was that they're um, moving away from their kin from their siblings, specifically mm -hmm. their sisters, a built-in support network, right? Mother and sister who can support through the childbirth and the child rearing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of this person. I don't know who was suggesting this. One of the most damaging things is for women not to have that support network. Yeah. And I've come to realize, I'm just going to say this right now. People who have listened to this podcast probably know this. I bring almost everything that I hear back to me. And <laughs> I just want to call, I just want to call it out because I'm aware of it. I did a integral coaching program and there was this quadrant that we learned and people fall into one of the four quadrants. And one of them is um, self-focused. The other one is community focused. So we, there's me, there's mm -hmm. we. Another one is systems. How do things work? Focused. And then I forget what the third one is. I'm me. So everything I hear, I bring it back to me. And I just, I, it's not because I'm narcissist or selfish or self-centered. I mean, I am some of those things, but that's just how I see the world. And we need plenty of different ways to create like, you know, the right balance so you like yeah you need me we and system and what is the fourth one i'm not sure it's a question mark <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> i can't remember so my partner is is not me she's more we focused yeah and when you were telling me the story about community um and how it takes a village to raise a child and also a mother her dream is to live in a community with her sister yeah And her extra dream is for them to have kids at the same time, ish, ish, um, so that they can support each other through that process. And my job as her partner and somebody that I'm madly in love with is to support her dream. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of being able to build community and to have kin nearby. Yeah. And to have people that can step up when stepping up needs stepping up 
and you need a lot of that with children. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other thing that I was thinking about is when you told me about community and how it seems to be doing fairly well in Berlin. Mm-hmm. My experience of Berlin was that it is incredibly community focused. Yeah. I felt so connected there. I didn't, I mean, I knew a few people, but the way people took me in and, you know, we met at a loft art party. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that struck me the most about Berlin was my friend and I, Jan Eric, um, who is Norwegian and married to a Czech woman, but living in, I forget which neighborhood. But anyways, we went out to drink coffee and to play ping pong. <laughs> and he had his little bag with ping pong paddles and the ping pong balls. And we went to a park at about five o'clock on like a Tuesday. So badly enough you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> also, when was this? Like September, right? Yeah, it was in September. Yeah, it was in September. I mean, can you think of a better time to be in Berlin? We went to the park and the park was jammed with kids. Yeah. Like yeah. jammed. And yeah. their parents. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, like when I arrived in, in Berlin, I was 20, 25, 25. And I was coming from Paris and I remember I was so shocked when I saw so many dads in the streets dads. with the strollers. And I was like, oh, wow. So dads can actually push strollers. It was a tremendous discovery for me because in Paris, you don't see children. And when you see them, usually they not with a man. No, well, um, French men, their wrists are very fragile, and so they can't push the stroller. For any- I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. That's the issue. <laughs> it's uh, it's and it's incredible how like concerned, invested they are in in the whole in the whole process. Like um, they are coming in my to my office with their wife which seems very normal, but um, usually women are taking care of their children issues and not so much the dads. So yeah, for that, Berlin is a beautiful place, I would say. And I, so yes, it was, it was the dads that I was really surprised. There was a lot of dads, but what I was a little surprised was that a lot of them were holding wine glasses. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Drinking white wine, by the way, not red wine. I mean, I think five o'clock is too early for red wine, right? Mm-hmm. And I think white wine is more appropriate in a park. Definitely. Yeah. It's uh, uh, stainless. Right. Yeah, that's right. If you get it on your khakis, um, you know, you can stay. When you when you have children <laughs> around, you better don't drink red wine. Oh, my God. It's risky. So I've been to a lot of parks in a lot of places on a Tuesday around five. I've never seen that many people. And I don't think it's just because we were in Berlin and Berlin's a city. I've been to a lot of cities at that time. The the vibe at that yeah. park was outrageous. Yeah. I can imagine. It was beautiful. I mean, yeah. It was it was like it was actually inspiring. And, mm-hmm. you know, Berlin and Montreal were the two cities that I was considering moving to after leaving San Francisco. Mm. And it just seemed easier to go to Montreal because uh, I have a dog and a truck, and I wanted both of those with me. So <laughs> one I could, and I'm Canadian, so that also makes it easier. 
Yeah. So this is a long, winding, quite touching introduction, I think. Yeah. To this concept that we had agreed to talk about. Yes. Um, which is the inner child. It seems fitting that we just spent, you know, 30 minutes talking yes. about children in a different context. And I'm assuming that it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's uh, like, so when I start, when I start my studies, I decided to, to study child psychology because I, children are so uh, adaptable and you can, you can work with, um, a lot of playing and uh, usually it's pretty fast and uh, it seems appealing to to the my younger self and uh, I, I discovered later on that actually like children and adults is really connected it's not two different words and that uh, you um, you have a child in um, all adults and that children are depending on adults to to grow so we all have a child inside yeah we do we all have a inner inner child uh, inside of us it's within us it's like the unconscious part of our mind where we carry our childhood like all our suppressed emotion, our creativity, our intuitions, our traumas, our unmet needs. And um, because during your childhood, you basically learn how to human. Mm. You learn how to interact. You learn how to behave. It's a, it's a very crucial part, period of life. And so you have like who you are, like your unique self and all the environment around you, the society, the community, your parents, your siblings, your friends, school, all that is shaping your, your memories. It's shaping the way you see the world, the, see you, the way you, you are in the world, the way you show up mm. as a person and the way you create your relationships i mean our first relationship is the one shaping the one after and uh, usually when everything is going very well it's with our parents right or caretakers or caretakers yeah. and um but like i say it's like first with your parents and then with all the people you create relationship with Childhood is not just the first year when only the parents are around, but it's, it's longer than that. And all these interactions are like first times. And these first times have a, a strong impact on who we are and who we become. And we have to build patterns in order to function. And uh, this, this inner child we have in us is all these patterns together and what we what we learn and the way our environment support us or not dealing with our emotions and our ego 
Yeah, and actually, to I think to understand an adult, you have to meet the child, if that makes sense. Well, I can just imagine that this concept is very challenging for a lot of people right now. The idea that we have an inner child. Yeah. I think it's quite, I mean, it, it was quite foreign to me until... Very really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting De- to totally. me because it's, it's like the core of, of my work. <laughs> well, right, it's the core of your work. Yeah. But it's not the core of a lot of people's work. Yeah, sure. And I can imagine that you have clients that come in and you know they, they're talking to you about stuff and it's obvious to you what the issue is and what the solution is, but for them, that's why they're coming to see you. Usually what like to, to understand uh, what your inner child is, it's like I, I usually like try to look at the triggers and what it brings, um, the way people feel in certain situations, how, how they deal with criticism, how they deal with loss, how they deal with stress with um, resentment, how to deal with being, being misunderstood. And, and with that, you can, you can understand what are the wounds from, from the childhood. Once again, it's not, I don't want to put everything on the parents. It's a bit more complicated than, than that. It's, it's bigger than that. For example, codependent behaviors are part of inner child wounds or uh, having weak boundaries, having difficulty to feel misunderstood or um, many people are also denying their own emotions. I think everything you're saying right now would, would resonate with a lot of my listeners. Yeah. Children needs to be seen heard and loved yeah so when a child is not receiving that uh, it's creating insecurity and usually it's like come over and over and over and over like a trauma is not something coming once usually it's something that comes with repetition and um, when your your parents I don't know, or your environment, let's say your environment to be less focused on the parents, told you that your emotions are not valid with like comments like, oh, come on, just get over it. Mm-hmm. Or, no, it can't be that bad. Or what about maybe parents that aren't able to help you regulate your emotions because they, they don't know how to regulate their own. Exactly. I mean, this is the other thing. It's like if if the environment is wounded, if the environment has traumas, obviously then it's passing. And it's called like transgenerational traumas. That's yeah. a pretty bad name. Sounds sounds really big. Uh, but basically it's like if if it's wounds in in the the people taking care of, of you of you when you were a child then it's passing on you mm. and obviously if if uh, the parents are wounded and didn't know how to 
the care of um, themselves, their emotion, how to regulate them, how being supportive, how to mature their own ego, mm -hmm. then it's uh, it can be very traumatic for children because they don't have the capacity to go through strong emotions. They need to be guided. They need to be children. heard and seen. Yeah. yeah. To to know that it's okay, that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to, to cry, that it's okay to be... Angry. Um, yeah, yeah. Frustrated, disappointed. All, all these things, yeah. indeed. Mildly indeed. annoyed. Mildly annoyed. <laughs> and you know, but like, this is something that is like also sounds so obvious but if if you don't speak about your own emotion to your child how can your child know about emotions you know i i have parents coming to me and saying like i don't understand when my when i ask my child how was her or his day the answer is always yeah good fine fine and i say like okay and tell me about your day yeah good <laughs> So this is this is a process like many of us didn't have the chance to learn all the vocabulary around emotion and this is this is something that we can teach by showing like mm. children are observing so if in your house it's not space for living emotion and speaking about emotion obviously then children don't feel allowed to to do so so if you if you grew up in an environment where you couldn't you didn't hear oh my god i'm i feel really sad about i don't know this or that or i was supposed to see a friend today and i feel pretty disappointed because blah 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 or i am joyful because of my new, I don't know. Yeah. I just did gardening today, so I'm thinking about gardening. Um, oh, good. Success. But, yeah. So, um, this is also something that is uh, very important. And then, I mean, you also have when parents get separated, for example. Like, children are very, very ego-centered. So, they basically think that everything that is happening around them mm. is caused by them. And yeah, it's a, it's for them, by them, because of them. Exactly. It's also really essential that you had an environment that told you, that explained to you why. I'm listening to you and feeling quite moved and also a bit sad because the environment that you're describing where there isn't a lot of open discussion and display of a variety of different emotions, mm. that to me sounds very common. Yeah. This seems like that seems like the norm. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm thinking of is I'm sort of moving, you know, a few steps forward. If you had that kind of environment growing up, you will display these kinds of behaviors as an adult. Yeah, or you didn't have that. And then you kind of heal yourself. You learn to look at yourself. 
uh, you go through a lot of, of inner work. And then you're capable to give that even if you didn't receive that from your childhood. That's kind of where I was going, you know, like what we're painting a picture of a child, a childhood that isn't very diverse in terms of the, the ways that emotions mm -hmm. can be displayed and held and worked through and th the impact that that would have on an adult. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask, okay, so how do we deal with that? If we want to deal with it. I, I like to think about reparenting yourself. This is a common, this is a term that's like popping up on Instagram. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. But that just, that just means that like some people are like talking about it more. I mean, I hadn't heard reparenting. It's a new concept for me. Reparenting is basically like doing this introspective work to know where are your wounds. This is the first step, like to bring clarity and awareness in in yourself. So, like, like, like I said, uh, trying to recognize your triggers, depending on the situation. Like, I felt unheard. I felt judged. I felt uh, left out, blamed, and loved, control, betrayed, unimportant. You have many, and usually, if you if you list your triggers over like few days or few weeks, you will realize that it's a stream, and this is a good base to to work with to understand. Okay. I don't know, let's take one very easy one, like I felt unheard. And when did you feel unheard in your past? Mm. Did you feel heard when you were a child? Did you feel unheard when you were a child? Who was not hearing you? Mm. How did you feel about that? Yeah. Th this whole process is also like that you have to go to look at the emotion that you couldn't express or that you didn't know back then. So it's very introspective work. My therapist does this with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually interesting to look back at my experience in therapy and to now also be talking to a lot more psychologists and therapists because I'm, I'll just say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm pro-therapy. Uh, I, I wish it was more accessible to, to everybody. It's not. Mm. Um, I really wish it were. I think it's incredibly important work. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I also think it's not something that it's not a shortcut at all. Oftentimes you have to develop a relationship with a therapist and work. The work happens in that relationship. Yeah. And as you're saying all this stuff, I'm recognizing the stuff that my therapist was doing with me. <laughs> She's not even like coy about it though anymore. You know, she'll, she'll go, so, you know, when has this come up for you before? In your childhood, maybe? Or <laughs> like she, we're, we've gotten to that point where... The, it's she, very straightforward. Very straightforward. Yeah, very straightforward. And um, we have that type of relationship where she doesn't... Because there's trust and intimacy built between mm -hmm. her and I. And I also recognize that she is reparenting me as well. Yeah, yeah. So I will tell her a story and she will act in a way that... Yeah. I'm not familiar with. Yeah. 
that I didn't experience in my environment growing up. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, oh, is that, is that what it was supposed to look like? Is that what it can look like? Yes. And it's really beautiful. It's a really beautiful... It's about changing patterns. Yeah. Having someone or yourself answering uh, the needs you had as a child that were not met for some some reasons. So it's it can like you can do that like in many many ways. I think like validating your own emotions is one very important step as well. I I hear a lot of of my of my patients saying like yeah, I should not feel so sad about it. Mm. Or that was not that bad or yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I feel pretty overwhelmed today. Yeah. A lot of shame around emotions. Yeah. And to 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 validate your own emotions if your your emotions were not validated in in the past is it's a big part of, of the work saying like I'm feeling pretty moved right now. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. Like then it's also like a, a big work around knowing the emotions. It it sounds really simple, but Oh, I don't think it I don't think it is at all. Yeah. Many people don't have the whole vocabulary around the nuances we can feel. And I I always think that if you don't have a name for something, it doesn't exist. Mm. So, like, I don't know. A chair is becoming a chair because I call it a chair. Right. Um, and it's the same with the emotions. So, learning the vocabulary around our emotions is then allowing us to name them, to recognize them, and um, to, to validate them. Yeah, and to process. Well, so I... I can imagine that there are people that just because they can't name the emotion doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're having an experience. Mm-hmm. It's probably uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they don't have the language to call it what it is. And so maybe it just gets lumped under anxiety Yeah. or anger. I, I remember in therapy, I had another therapist. I've had two therapists and they were both sort of seen them both for two years. I realized that I didn't have the language Mm -hmm. to recognize anything between um, mildly annoyed and flying off the handle slash blind rage. Yeah. It was either nothing or everything. And over the years, I've been able to develop language and also the ability to feel what is this, what is that, that it's a lot more varied. It's like, oh, you know, I'm actually, I'm pretty annoyed. Um, I'm I'm really disappointed. I'm 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 mad, but you know this will probably pass in about thirty minutes. This level of mad will pass, or I'm really fucking pissed. And it was able. I was able to like regulate my experience because I didn't have to wait for it to click all the way to blind rage before I recognize it. I could recognize it as it was moving. We do get aggressive or go to violence when we don't have the words anymore. So having words to describe what we what we feel is also supporting us to stay calm 
and um, able to process. Mm. So I can I can completely imagine that like when you found the right vocabulary for you, then you could just express before exploding. Yeah, it would just like stop the thing there instead of me sort of bottling it up or pretending like it wasn't happening until it overflowed. Yes. I mean, this is kind of classic, right? People who bottle up their emotions and then they have they have an eruption. This is we're not, definitely. This is very common. <laughs> it's very common. It, it it's just because common. it's like the pressure valve just blows. Yeah, and it's. Also, what is happening for children, you know, like before they develop their language skills, they have a lot of tantrums. (laughs) And the more you give them the tools, the vocabulary tools, the words, the less tantrums they have. Because they can express themselves. And I like to think that like, uh, when when people have this wounded inner child, they do act like children in a way, you know, having like this emotional outburst, like slamming doors, um, stomping their feet, stomping their feet, saying to someone, "I will never call you again," and then calling them again, for sure, like children, like you're not my friend anymore. Yeah. Like you can, you can really compare children behaviors and this kind of behavior. And when you have someone who had uh, the chance and did the work to mature this emotion, even if you slightly upset <laughs> to really pissed, mm. you will have a completely different way of expressing that. That will be way more mature way and will be most likely not stamping your feet or sliming a door. Mm. But taking space, for example, would be one mature way to to deal with these kind of emotions. Journaling, meditation, self-care, run, yeah. As you were saying this, I just felt peaceful, this idea that, you can heal. Yeah, sure. And you can develop the language and you can self-regulate. You do. Mm-hmm. You, can. Yeah. you can. You can. We are so flexible. We are so adaptable. Our brain is, is constantly changing depending on the input, depending on the environment. So like the experience you had at the, as a child are not defining who you are. It was the environment you had. But you can definitely heal. It's not who you are. You're not def- like you're not your emotions. Right. Or your stories. Or your stories, exactly. Or your experiences. Yeah. Those shape you. Definitely. They they don't define you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a part of of yeah, your story. And it's just something that has to be addressed. And um, like, for example, uh, being more 
able to uh, put boundaries is one way of healing as well. Expressing your needs more clearly and kindly, it's uh, a way to, to heal um, as well. How does that work? Like if you had an environment who, uh, which was like making you feel guilty of saying no or yeah, never say no, never say no, or not doing certain kind of, of, of things or, or do what I tell you do exactly do what, do what I tell you or you not enough. You should have done better. You should have been better at school or at sports or exactly a better child, less uh, misbehaved, less. And this all like transactional love pattern. Mm. Like if you dress up, you can watch TV. Mm, right. Or if you uh, eat your chicken, you can have the dessert. Yeah. Or I don't know. No, if, if you, if you behaving like this, really, you know, I, I'm not going to take care of you right now. This is like then adults who had that often have weak boundaries because they are thinking like, okay, if I set these boundaries, I might lose love. Mm. So trying to set strong boundaries, trying to practice saying no, practicing to check in within yourself um, before you answer, it's a way of healing. Yeah. Well, it's a way, yeah, it's a way of healing through uh, validating your needs and, and saying that you matter. Yeah. I'm going to ask for this because this matters to me. This need is important to me and I'm worthy of it. And I'm, so, I'm not sorry about that and I don't feel bad about that. Well, I might feel bad about it a little bit, but I'll do it anyways. <laughs> or not anymore one day. Yeah, yeah, no, but we got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. No, and and that's very important that it's a it's a journey. It's a trip. Like you have to practice over and over and over again. And like the first time you will say, I don't know, no, I'm not coming to the party. I want to stay in bed tonight. Okay, we don't go anywhere anymore. But <laughs> right, when <yeah>. we can <laughs> when we can again. Uh, or like I don't I don't take your call tonight because I want to Netflix. Um the first time it will feel really hot and uh, it will be it will be difficult and the next time it will be easier and over and over and over again and at one point you will realize that it's no no loss most likely happening and if you lose people for setting boundaries then maybe it was the right thing to do I just I love that you said that yeah I think it's really hard for people to understand that the Taking care of yourself shouldn't be a threat to somebody else. No, never. And if it is, well, then maybe that's not somebody that you want in your life. But then you have to be comfortable with the space that's going to be uh, that's going to be there. We love space. We do. We love space. Space allows for creativity. <laughs> exactly, but it's uh, <laughs> and then you're going to just start painting, and life is going to be wonderful. You know, I talked to the, the new friend psychologist and we were talking about the devil that you know mm -hmm. and that the brain's job is to conserve energy. Yes. And it's easier to stay in a situation that you already know, even if it's a painful one, because 
you already know how to deal with it. Yeah. And the unknown and the space, the brain doesn't really do well with that because it doesn't know how much energy it's going to need to do the things that are going to come and fill that space. Yes. And oftentimes that stops us from changing and growing and healing because we're scared of what the, the fear of the unknown can be energetically expensive. And I think many people also grew up with like, you know what you have, you don't know what you're going to get, which I think is a terrible way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. But if you have that mindset, you're not, you're not going to let go on, on, on people or on things. And for that, if you have that with the combination of uh, invalidating your emotion, it works. Because if you listen to your emotion and if you validate your emotions, then you will know that you should let go or you can let go. Yeah. This is something that we learn in our childhood to trust or intuition or not. So trusting the way you feel about someone or some situation can help you um know what you should do with it well yeah and i think that requires you to drop into your body and your mm -hmm. and your heart mm -hmm. and less in your head yeah because the body the gut the instinct the intuition generally knows what to do And it's sometimes at odds with what your brain wants to do. Mm -hmm. The brain is a computer. The brain is a computer. Mm -hmm. all, it's like making millions of calculations. It's very analytical. It's going to try to figure out the best outcome. What about this? What about this? What about do this? Then this might happen. Chain of events, reactions. And then, then you're paralyzed. You don't know what the fuck to do. The body's been sitting there like, hello, it's obvious. I've been trying to tell you for years what to do. Yeah. Now, we don't drop into the body as quickly as we should or could. This is something that, um, once again, like you could have learned in your childhood or you have to relearn later on. The caregiver could have said, like, well, how, do you, how does it feel in your body? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. It hurts. It hurts in my chest. Or my, my belly's all knotted up. Yeah. Or I feel like puking or pooping. Exactly. Or it's just like naming it. Like, for example, usually if you're fearful, you have the need, like, you need to pee. You mm. feel the need of peeing. This is also something that you can, you can explain, you know. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, when, when you feel very upset, you have this feeling in your chest. Or when you feel very shameful, you have this feeling in your belly. Or if you're fearful, you might want to go to the bathroom. Well, I can attest when I got arrested at 22 for stealing something, I got tackled by the security guards of the electronics store that I was stealing the thing from, and I immediately peed my pants. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they brought me into the back, and then the police came, and the police looked at me, and they looked at my pants, because I was wearing gray jeans, so it was like really obvious. Yeah, and they looked great, at me. And they looked, yeah, it's a bad, bad deal. If you're going to steal something, wear black jeans. Yeah, 
Uh, That's a good advice. And he looked at me and he goes, what, they don't let you use the bathroom around here? And I was like, no, dude, I just peed my pants. I got really scared. So anyways, I can attest to the fact that 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 can't happen. Yeah. Not one of my finest moments. You you learned from that? Never stole a thing again. You see? Yeah. And also honesty. I was like really honest with the police and they let me go. I still got arrested, but they let me go. It was less bad than it could have been. So honesty, not gen- not with the police, just honesty in general. And I've been as honest as possible for a long time. This is also another thing. Like, if you if you if you have fears, because when you were honest, um, you got punished. Yeah, you might not be honest anymore. Well, we show me someone who did not get punished for being honest when they were a child. No, I don't think I got punished when I was a child for being honest. Oh, really? No. I I had boundaries. Like I, I'm just thinking of like something got broken. I broke it. My mom was like, who broke this? I said, I broke it. And then I got in trouble for it. Okay. Or you could also say like, okay, take your responsibilities. It makes me very upset that you broke that. What do we do f- with that now? Right. Well, what I'm saying is I don't know a lot of parents that would have approached it with that that approach. Yeah, okay. Yeah. My mother is a psychologist, so I'm not a good example. <laughs> I guess I wasn't considering the audience when I gave this example. <laughs> In my circles, I, I just like, I don't have a lot of experience with with parents like that and that that's why that's why you can you can do that with yourself later on and try to be as honest as possible and see what is happening if it's as bad because you just spoke about the brain your brain might draw um a worse picture than what it will be so trying to do what you're fearful of might help you also to like change your patterns. Okay. I just talked to Root about this today. I'm, I'm just going to say it now because it seems like an appropriate time. I am running this workshop, a healthy communication workshop. And the first session is about fears and courage, mm-hmm. courage to mm-hmm. open up. And how, yeah, fear keeps us safe. Yes. For the most part, it, it has kept us safe in the past, right? Because of how we were, our experience growing up of when we divulged feelings and asked for our needs and uh, got in trouble and how people reacted to those disclosures of feelings and intimacy and requests. So maybe we grew up thinking it wasn't, safe for us to ask for what we needed and we carry that into our adulthood yeah and oftentimes those stories are actually quite they're quite old definitely they're very old and we've been carrying them for a really 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 long time and we have to move through some fear to do something that we know is probably at the service of ourselves and our soul and our inner child to get the experience yeah. that 
we're actually going to be okay after we do the thing, the hard thing. We talked about the feeling when we ask the need. And then you can start to change the story of every time I ask for something, somebody says, no, I'm rejected and I feel abandoned. And here we are, the fear of rejection is maybe the, the strongest there. When people, for example, don't honor their, their boundaries, it's often because of the fear of rejection. Yeah, we put up the boundary and someone will say, yeah, actually, that's not going to work for me. See you later. Exactly. And so we soften or we renege on our boundaries, even though we've said this is our boundary. They don't respect it. We don't have the courage to say, hey, actually, I'd set a boundary there and it was really important to me. And it's there so that we can stay in connection together. And you violated it. And I, we, we want to talk about it again so that that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. People usually just go, well, you know, I guess it's better to have them in my life in some capacity than not at all. Yes. And this, like, this brings us back to community. I think the, the bigger the community around you is, the less fear of rejection you might experience because you're not going to lose your entire world right. if one person is living. If if the, your entire world is a person, and by if the rejection of that uh, from that person is leading you to be fully alone, then the price to pay for setting up your boundaries might raise way too much, sure. too many fears. Yeah, the stakes are too high. Yeah, and so you'll settle. Yeah, for good enough. Mm-hmm. I want to take this opportunity to let people know about this workshop because feels in, feels important right now. It's a three-part workshop called the Healthy Communication Workshop, Tools for All Relationships. Session one, which just happened yesterday, and if you're listening to this, it happened last week, is about how to have the courage to open up and how to safely explore the edges of your fear so that you can mm-hmm. start having new experiences that give you new data points. So that when you do ask for something that you want or need, you're surprised that someone said yes. And then you can start to lean on those experiences to make more significant requests, right? So you start small, right? Start small. And with people that you suspect are safe, not the person that you know isn't safe. Don't do it with them. Do it with the other people. (laughs) So the whole session is on that. And then session two and session three are on how to ask for anything, how to make requests, how to speak up for yourself without pushing people away, how to say no with love, how to set healthy and loving boundary consequences. And it seems to me like this workshop that I put together can lead to healing. Yeah, it's exactly what I was I was uh, thinking when you say like, oh, this term, uh, reparenting can seem very foreign. Like, here you are. And when I, I was speaking about triggers, it's exactly what you just described. Like, look at your fears. And this is where you can start to have more clarity and awareness of the way situations are making you feel. And from that, you can you can work. And definitely knowing how to express your emotion, express your boundaries and create new patterns is it's a way of healing. Mm. So yes. And to avoid trans- transactional love mm. 
as well because if you have if you put your boundaries uh, out there then this is not uh this is not gonna gonna happen um the same with uh codependency the the fact of the fear of being vulnerable all these things so yeah it seems like a very valuable tool that you that you're proposing here by the way this workshop has been approved by two therapists at this point so i just want people to know that if this is what you're working on and this is an edge for you then join us another thing that i was thinking about and that i talked about in yesterday's session is this idea that the more uh, requests that you make for your needs and the more conversations around your feelings the more you'll see who is able to hold space for you in your community yeah and those are the safe people yes and that's how you start to build a safety net of people that can care for you when you need caring for Mm-hmm. And it's important to realize who are those people. And there might not be a bunch. I mean, especially if we're talking about where how we live nowadays in 2020. And I don't mean just like because of the coronavirus, but the way we live in modern day, where it's less community-based. So that means that your circle is probably going to be smaller than, let's say, if we lived in the hunter-gatherer community back in the days where that was the de facto style of living. Your community is probably going to be smaller. But it's important to figure out who are those people? Who can I lean on? And when? Because it might not be the same person you can lean on depending on the situation. Sure. So. Well, and if they have the tools to say, oh, actually, yeah, I'm not available for that right now. I'd love to support you maybe tomorrow. Uh, right now, I'm just super tapped out. And I want to be present for you. So please contact me tomorrow if you still need some support. And I'm, I'll be happy to be there for you. That's a really healthy response to a request, right? It is. It is indeed. Yeah. Some people aren't going to be able to do that. And it's. Uh, I think it's also like making the difference between requests and demands. Of course. <laughs> this this is changing everything in the in the communication you have with uh, with people around you. Well, I'm not going to say my. If you want to know my request versus demand. Um, tools and techniques then i invite you to join the workshop not <laughs> not you chloe but people people i listen. might join you well you can i invite you as well <laughs> i invite you to join the workshop if you want to learn tools for all of your relationships to communicate in a more healthy way and one of the things that i said in yesterday's session is that when you do this when you start to make requests especially for someone who's never made requests and you start to set boundaries, especially for someone who's never set boundaries, you're going to be stress testing some of your relationships. People who have never had you put up a boundary are going to feel maybe defensive, maybe threatened, maybe they'll take it very personal and you'll get to see who is really able to hold you and hold your heart and who um, just doesn't really have your best interest at heart. And it's a, it's a good risk to take. It feels really hard, though, for some people. I think, you know, to, yeah. your, to your point of if you only have one person, then the risk is, is incredibly high. Yes. And I guess I would invite people to find more than one person. Exactly. <laughs> it takes a village. It takes a village. It takes a village to, to, to be human. <laughs> yeah. And 
I guess we don't talk about that. I mean, we say that. That's like a common expression. It takes, well, it takes a village to raise a child. And guess what? We didn't have villages to raise children. Mm-hmm. So we didn't raise them with villages, with community, with... And this is also the point. Like, I think I, I have to say that, that because we, we, or I spoke a lot about parents. And that's why I, I said at, on one point, okay, we, we have to speak about the environment. Because if you have multiple people around a child, uh, it's also... Uh, bringing usually less traumas because the child, what what the child will not find in that person, the child will find it in this person. And uh, where for if this person is no space for this kind of emotion, it will be there. Or where here is guilt, there is freedom mm. and acceptance. Um, and uh, so it's not it's not about the parents because having a I don't know, one very available teacher mm. or a very sweet grandmother, uncle, uh, friend, dad, whatever, yeah. can compensate. And we're not, we're not perfect. Even if you do all the inner work. I mean, I'm a mom. I, I do tons of mistakes, mm. I'm sure. <laughs> like... I don't know. I, I'm just going to wait 30 years and then I'm going to, I'm going to know better. Oh yeah. They'll tell you how they, how you fucked them up. Yeah. They're going to tell me it's going to be, it's what I did with my mom. I, I bring very interesting discussions. Um, <laughs> she loved it. So we're not, we're not made uh, perfect. Thanks God. Mm-hmm. And for that, we can ask for support. Like, like adults do when they go, uh, to you or to me or to friends or to family uh, and the same when you're raising a child you can ask for your community to to be there for you mm. and uh, say okay i need i need you um to 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 show up for me there or could you please do you feel uh, available for can i ask you this or that it's not just it's not just the the, the parents. It's a it's a community. So you just said, "Can I ask? Do you feel? Are you available for?" Mm-hmm. I'm writing these down for the workshop, by the way. <laughs> My favorite, and I'll share it here, is "I'd love it if." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Just I'd love it if I'd love it if you were able to watch my kid for an hour or talk to them about this, or I'd love it if you came over and had dinner with me. So simple. And yeah, asking, seeking for support. It's, uh, yeah, it's not always easy. No. It's not always easy uh, for me to, to ask for support also uh, towards, my, towards my children. Right. Yes, I, I don't, sometimes I don't want to bother my partner with something that I'm going through because I know she's working. <laughs> yeah, but she can always say no. She can. It's not because you ask that she has to say yes. That's right. So she's like a sovereign being. Yeah. She has agency. <laughs> but can yeah, I, I do that like now even when I call. I say, Are you available? Are you available for a call right now? I sent a message before. Oh wow, that's nice. Yeah. When I when I feel that I I I I need or I would like a long call or Yeah. 
I I announced it before. You know, like we're going to be talking about you and your stuff because because you need some support. I think that's yeah. really I think that's really nice. I think it's a really nice way of reaching out. Or if I need to vent, you know, this is not neutral. So I'm asking as well. It's like, okay, I really need to vent right now. I love that. I love that. Do you have space for that? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love it. With, I, I love, you can call me anytime if you need to vent. I mean, send me a text. For really? Me. Yeah, send me a text. Um, yeah, I, right? love, I love holding people's venting because it's actually very easy to do, right? Like you're not asking me to solve anything. No. It's just like holding space. I'm the best. I'll be like, that motherfucker. Yeah. God damn it. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, now you I'm going to remember that. You got my <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, I decided for myself that I don't bother people. Mm. I don't. That's, that's really important. Yeah. I'm not annoying, I'm not too much, I'm not bothering. And however, I try to be respectful. So I'm like, okay, I feel very excited right now. And I need all the space to jump around. And I just want you to look at me jumping around or I need to vent. Like, like I think you, you like pointed very, uh, very nicely. Like when it's about yourself, when it's like when you know you're going to take a lot of space and you need all that space for a joy or event or uh, just a long talk to announce that before, it's, uh, it's really healthy and uh, creating good um, relationships, I guess. So I, I learned this in Alcoholics Anonymous because I've been in recovery for over 11 years now. And one of the things I learned early on was use the phone, call people. Mm -hmm. Don't like just sit in your own shit alone. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do that. And then as I got more comfortable dealing with all my stuff and the stories and situations, and that became less the focus of the calls. And then the calls were more about just connecting with people. And, And because I had made friends in the program, I was just calling people. But there's sort of this, this saying, because uh, sometimes you call your friends, they don't answer because, because you just, because whatever they're busy or they don't feel like it or because they don't know that you need support. So they think it's just maybe like shooting the shit or just catching up. And sometimes like sometimes I'm not available to catch up, but I'm s- totally available to support you. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not available to support you, but I will s- totally catch up with you, you know? And we're supposed to be available all the time now because of a phone. Like I, I remember when I was a teenager, you had to, like have appointments sure you know and this was way more clear like now when you call someone you don't know in which space this person is you don't know like where the person is you know you don't know the surrounding nothing neither the person knows about you and that's why i think like this this text before to announce (laughs) your your coming um is helpful this is a big like shift because well you know people don't actually some people don't like to use the phone that much they prefer to text but i think support happens more effectively over telephone yeah Um, the thing that i learned to ask people 
I would send them a text or I would call them and I would say, Hey, this is a program call. Yeah. And that was like kind of code word for like, Hey, I need some help. I need some support. This isn't, yeah. and like, this is not shooting the shit. This is serious business. Mm-hmm. And whenever I got a program call, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead. And that, that, that was the greeting. Go ahead. And they would just yeah. go until the thing was, until the thing was solved. And like, they weren't at risk of either relapsing or doing something silly or acting out or. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like life is that serious. Sometimes we do need support that bad. And we have to learn to ask for it in the right way to the right people. And I would prefer that you ask for it in the wrong way than not ask for it at all. Yes. Yes. I don't want you to have the perfect language to ask. No, for we're not perfect. No. And then it can open a conversation. You know, some uh, some people might say, you know what, uh, I prefer to uh, hear your voice. So please don't send me a message before, but just call me, and I will. I will tell you where where I'm at. Like being imperfect is also a way of opening conversation. I do that. I answer the phone, and if. I see that it's going in the direction I go like, Hey, actually I'm just, uh, just, I answered to say hi, but I'm not available to chat for very long. I'm tired. The ADHD in me is it's like not all the time. Sometimes I'm (laughs) tensely tired and I I have no energy. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I need a lot of rest. That's a good sign. I need a lot of rest. Yeah. I mean, it's exhausting. I canceled a podcast. I had a second podcast at three o'clock my time in an hour and I canceled it. Yeah. Respecting your needs. Yeah. I was like, yo, I can't, this is what I said. I said, um, Hey Kelsey, I'm sorry for the last minute. I know we have a podcast in like three hours, but I just spent three hours on the phone. I'm about to spend another two hours and I don't think I'm going to have the energy to show up for you in the way that I want to show up. Yeah. I want to be present and I want to have fun and I want to banter and I want us to go deep and I'm not going to have the energy for that. Yes, and that's also a way. I think, like, if you if you show up with gratitude, thankfulness, appreciation, and respect yeah. towards others, it will always go well. I guess. Sure. Uh, I mean, if it doesn't, it's like, okay, wow, really? You're taking it personally, like that I'm doing this to you. Yeah. Let me rephrase it. Then it will most likely go well with people uh, that have the same values. No, I mean, I agree with you. you have. I agree with you. If, <laughs> but if it doesn't go well, it's like, okay, well, that that's a lot of information that is really good to have. Yes. Yes. You, I mean, you know, I really am a firm believer that there are no mistakes in God's world, in God's world, this universe, whatever you want to call it, and that we have an opportunity to learn from pretty much anything. Yes. And we do learn with our, with our super uh, computer brain. We do <laughs> learn with every experience that we make. And that's why, like, with every positive experience that you will make by uh, setting up boundaries and not being rejected, uh, setting up boundaries and being heard, looking, like, overcoming your fears and uh, discovering Asking a person out. Um, Having them say yes. Yeah. Oh. How fun. Yes. <laughs> what great data for the next time you ask somebody out. Yes. But it's really like this. And, you know, like 
we need this like trial and error method. Like it's, you have to like do it over and over and over and over again before it become a pattern. Yeah. You need that repetition. And uh, so you have to ask this first person out and this person might have, might say no and ask a second one and a third one and a fourth one. Okay, not maybe not so many, but yeah, you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah, we need we need like a multiple experiences, multiple data, data points. Yes. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is that I didn't apologize for rescheduling. Actually, I, I didn't even. I asked if she was open to rescheduling. I didn't cancel. I asked. Did you feel sorry? No, I didn't feel sorry. And so, that's so why funny. would I apologize? Exactly. I didn't do anything wrong. No. And I think like, uh, it's honesty again. If you don't feel sorry, you don't have to say sorry. And this is something that I, I also, a strong believer in like, rather than to say, Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm so late. You can simply say, thank you for your patience. <laughs> I use that one sometimes. Thank you so much. Like, um, I'm a, I was a mess with time now where I'm a mess with time and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you, that you waited for me. I do that with emails. Yeah. Cause sometimes emails sit in my box for like two weeks before I, or more, well, six weeks. Fuck it. <laughs> and I go, thank you so much for being patient with me and, and getting back to you. If your offer is still available, knowing that you, you know, extended it six weeks ago, I'd love to talk to you on the phone. And if it's yeah. not, I totally understand. You know, have a beautiful day. Yeah, and uh, just saying sorry when we really are sorry. Was I really like, yeah? Was I sorry that I didn't answer the email for six weeks? Like, not really. No. It, sorry, you know, apologies should be reserved for things that we're actually regretful of. Yeah. Yeah. Actual regret. Yeah. I learned a lot. You know, I think I grew up a lot in AA and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I know a lot of people. You're not supposed to talk about it, but I grew up. I grew up in in um, recovery in those groups yeah. and I learned how to make amends and how to say, Hey, you know what I did that time was really fucked up. Yeah. I really regret doing it. I wasn't the best friend, boyfriend, son, whatever that I could have been. And you were supported by a community. Yeah. I feel like we, we were just like testing life in that community. Yeah. I was yeah. supported by a community, deeply, deeply supported and still am. We do learn, we do heal. Uh, and all the challenges are making us growing stronger. I was I was speaking with my neighbor today, doing gardening, and he, he was explaining me how he has to cut his tomato plant for the tomato to to grow better. And he explained to me, and he said, like you know, like by cutting that, the the tomato tree is gonna be stronger and thicker. Mm. and grow more tomatoes and we, we did reflect about it and it's i i guess it's it's the same for for humans in a way that uh even if you go through challenges and pain it will make you stronger i'm thinking about that in the context of relationships yeah if i cut this relationship out of my life it's going to be painful 
it's going to be painful. But I might thrive. Yes. I might be able to have more, even more fruitful relationships because this one is kind of preventing me from doing that. I'm a fruits. I'm a fucking tomato plant. <laughs> yeah, we all. <laughs> We're all tomato plants. This feels like the appropriate place to end with the garden analogy. Yeah, I agree. Do you feel complete? I do. Where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Instagram uh, at uh, parents.of.berlin. And uh, is it, was that right? That was the perfect pronunciation. I mean, I'm assuming you speak German, right? And I thought about punkt. It's dot. Yeah, point. Yeah, okay. We can do it again. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it again. That's beautiful. Parents.of.berlin. I love that. That was so beautiful and perfect. I just thought in German, which is like parents punkt. I'm a, yeah, let's uh, not switch language. And otherwise, uh, on parentsofberlin.com. Uh, what services do you offer that's available to people who might be in Berlin? Uh, I also do online consultations, so I actually do work with uh, people all over the world, and I I offer consultations about parenting, but also regular therapy work and healing work. Oh, that's amazing! I had no idea. Yeah. So um, anybody who's listening can reach you at parents punt of punt Berlin on Instagram <laughs> or parentsofberlin.com. I have one last question for you. Ask me. What does love mean to you? A lot. Wow. Yeah. A lot. It's um it's it's a really strong question to end. What you know, that could be your answer. A lot is enough. Yeah, a lot. It means a lot. I am consistently blown away with people's answers. <laughs> Including your own. It's it's just uh, really came from my heart. It's uh, like that's all I ask. Yeah, a lot. It means a lot. <laughs> Chloe, thank you. Thank you too. Hey, lovebirds, as always, thank you for spending this hour and a half with Chloe and I today. It means the world. And if you are inspired to join the Healthy Communication Workshop, do it. You will learn amazing tools on how to communicate more effectively in a more healthy way. And you'll also get to connect with a bunch of people that are learning the same things. And you'll get to join the Lovebird Club, which is a private community for people who have financially contributed to my work, either through coaching, through a workshop, or through a monthly contribution. If you want to know more about the workshop, go to thelovedrive.com forward slash healthy communication. And another note on the workshop. 
If you're listening to this months after this episode aired, it's okay. The workshop is available after it ends. It'll be recorded. All sessions are recorded and available 24 hours after they take place. And so if you want to upgrade your communication and you want to learn healthier tools and how to connect with people in a way that makes sense for you and for them, then join us. This workshop is there. It'll always be there. You can always go to my website and you can buy any of the workshops that I've done. You don't have to be there live for the workshop. Okay, have a beautiful week. Thank you. 